This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. So England have suffered back-to-back defeats in the Basball era for the first time, losing another thrilling test against Australia by 43 runs at Lords. We'll naturally talk about the Johnny Bairstow stumping and hear the thoughts of both captains and legendary commentator David Bumble Lloyd. Malcolm Conn from the Sydney Morning Herald joins us to discuss how Australia are reacting to the news and their prospects of winning the Ashes in England for the first time since 2001. Former Australia spinner Brad Hogg explains why he thinks the Aussies should have withdrawn the appeal and we'll discuss if short ball tactics could become the norm in Test cricket going forward. And finally, the San Francisco Unicorns owner Anant Rajaraman will join us to look ahead to the launch of Major League Cricket that gets underway in a couple of weeks and we'll round up the week's other stories, so plenty to come over the next hour. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on Talksport Two. Well, Army, we expected drama. We expected close Test matches. We've had two in a row now, and um, those who say that uh, the the Johnny Bairstow stumping left a bad taste in the mouth, well, I guess that's what mouthwash is for. It is absolutely malware. I don't get. I've seen that seen that number of times from loads of different angles. A lot of people are saying because. He marked his guard, and he didn't. He didn't mark his guard. He just he just tapped his toe. You know, he flicked his toe across the dirt. He didn't mark a guard. I, I looked at that again. The umpires, umpire standing in position. Square leg umpire. Yes, he's walking in towards the other game. But it, at the end of the day, he didn't call over. There's a lot going on in international cricket as well. A lot going on in between in between overs because obviously the TV and the advert breaks possible change of commentators so but the, the the one thing that's never changed is the overs called and unfortunately for Johnny the umpire didn't call over doesn't take away from the fact that it's a little bit of dodgy cricket because you know, he's done it many times before that's what Australia said Carey catches the ball and throws it in one motion he literally catches it throws it in one motion 
And at that point, when the ball left Alex Carey's hands, Johnny Besto's got one foot, if not nearly two foot, inside the crease. And the ball's in the air as it's going back towards the stumps when Johnny Besto leaves the crease. So if Alex Carey throws it when Johnny leaves the crease, then I've got a bad taste in my mouth and think, you know what, that's probably not in the spirit because Johnny's not trying to gain an advantage. And I know he's not trying to gain an advantage, but the ball was in midair towards the stump when Johnny decides to go for a walk. I just think it was just a little bit of dozy cricket, that's all. And it, it's it's covered over two test matches where England have played some dozy cricket. And that's why they're going to lead 2-0 down and not 2-0 up. And then it comes to, there's a lot of stuff in this. It comes to preparation, not 100% back. And you always get questioned when things aren't going well. Forget the golf trip to Scotland and forget didn't play much cricket before when Australia were playing the World Test Championship. But we we commented in New Zealand matters. There was things I see morning of games. There was nobody on the field. Morning of games, there was Ben Folks on the field doing a bit of catching with Paul Collingwood. A few batters were in nets. Didn't see any catching practice. You know, bowlers were bowling in the middle. You know, the old-fashioned, you know, old man and me will be saying, well, if you prepare like that, you bowl no balls. If you prepare like that, you have 60 extras. If you prepare like that, you don't catch. You drop catches. These are the things that are, cut, that are, are small things, which are mounting up to you know, cause England so much of a, of a heartache. As well as that, their shot selection with 80 mile down bouncers, they're picking and choosing which ones they're trying to hit Australia. And we're trying to hit 90 mile down bouncers from any height and any, any width any direction and we're trying to hit everyone for six with men on the field so again just some just some brainless cricket that's cost England 2-0 uh, uh, and that's why they're 2-0 down it's important to have fun and enjoy the game though isn't it Harmy? I don't mind that you, you you have fun when you win don't have fun when you lose that's the thing you prepare that yourself in the best possible way to give yourself the best chance to win the game and for me for the last 12, 12 months They've been doing it. They've probably been doing it. But it also comes with pressure. And if you're not prepared and you come under pressure, then you have to revert back the type when pressure's on. And unfortunately, if you're not prepared, the standards you set at reverting back the type is unfortunately hitting short balls down somebody at five legs, slope, deep square stroke, not being able to keep your foot behind the line, and more importantly, dropping important catches. Just little things, but little things are why England are 2-0 down because for four and a half days of a better team at, at Birmingham Ben Stokes had a great game with his captain and then in a mad hour and a half at the end of the game Australia win and then there was some you know England win the toss bowl first in the proper, proper bowling conditions and then they're 188 for one 37 overs and the nine walks off the best finger spinners ever played the game you know, especially in the modern generation and all of a sudden England give a, a 91 run re Ed, deficit in the first level. These things mount up when you're not you know, fully at it and fully prepared and I think that's a big thing rather than oh let's feel sorry for us because Johnny Best or left his crease and got stopped. Oh let's feel sorry for us because the MCC members have had a go at Usman Kawaja and the Australian cricket team. No, let's not feel sorry for us. We're in a position we're in because of our doing. Well as promised in case anybody's missed it let's hear what uh, Ben Stokes had to say about um, the Bairstow stumping. Taking the whole situation into consideration, I think the first thing that needs to be said, it is out. Um, you know, Johnny was in his crease and then left his crease to come out and have the 
conversation in between overs like every batsman does. I think if if I was a fielding captain at the time, I would have put a bit more, well, a lot more pressure on the umpires to to ask them what their decision was around the over, and then would have had to have a a real think around the, the spirit of the game and would I want to potentially win a game with something like that happening? And it would be no. It was England captain Ben Stokes choosing his words very carefully. And its opposite number, Pat Cummins, was obviously asked about the incident as well. Seems like every Ashes has some drama to it. Even one-sided Ashes in the past seem to, things get stoked up halfway through a series. So I think if anything, it just feels like it's, you've got two old rivals who are playing against each other. And is it going to change anything? I don't think so. I don't think it'll change anything for us. You know, we're still amicable. So we'll see how it's played out. Uh, you know, I feel a good thing about, I guess, at this stage, rather than 2019, when we lost Headingley, it became one all. You know, being up two nils something we should be really proud of as a group. Yeah, I don't feel like this series needed any more attention because there's a lot going on, um, but maybe there is some more. That was Pat Cummins uh, talking about the test match that will be remembered for the birthday stumping, but shouldn't be because uh, it should be remembered for some extraordinary cricket and particularly that incredible innings of 155 from Stokes. It was interesting you mentioned Osman Khwaja there. I understand that he wasn't specifically targeted but whereas all of the other, well, apart from David Warner, most of the Aussie players walked past the abuse and, and, and ignored what was happening to them in the long room. But Usman Khwaja, being Usman Khwaja, stopped. And, and, and as he, he said himself, you know, I wasn't just going to take it. And he wasn't, you know, he turned around and he said, sorry, what did you say? Do you, do you understand the rules? You know, just sort of trying to be reasonable in a very unreasonable kind of situation. But it does bring into question one of, uh, I guess, the oldest, longest traditions in world cricket. Um, it's the only place in the world where the players do walk through the long room right next to the crowd. I mean, there are stewards there. There was a time when there were no stewards. And, you know, it wasn't uncommon for players to get pushed and prodded and 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 uh, jeered or cheered. But it, I, I guess, you know, in this today's day and age, it will lead some people to question whether it's appropriate. Yeah, and that's it. If that had happened in many places around the world, there would have been a security issue being talked about here. But it's an interesting one. If the MCC members have gone too far and gone over the top, then they should be banned. Simple as that, thrown out, because that's not what, you know, from a, a cricketing point of view, you want to see when you've got a team going through a public area. It's even worse upstairs in the toilet. To get to the toilet, you've got to walk across the corridor. Many times they've come out, you've come out of the showers chow around you and you you've got to you've got to sort of wait for the, the, the members to walk along the corridor so you can go back into the trust. So logistically the the, the loads changing facilities, how you know from a logistic point of view, if they changed it where they said you can't go between the supporters, the the members, then I would imagine it cost a fortune because you know, the shower block, the baths, the showers, the toilets are not connected to the changing room. You have to go across the members corridor to get into in, into that facility. Then you're going to come down two flights of stairs where the members walk around, not a problem. It'll be interesting to see if Australia made a comment, uh, complain and said, right, you know, we we don't want to be in a public area. Where do they get changed? Because it, 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 it's just not possible. So, look, it was always going to happen at some point. I'm not sort of bothered about it because you know, sticks and stones and people's having words. If somebody had to be physical, then that's out of order. But you know, Osman Kawaji decided that he was going to take them on. MCC have they've reacted, they've done their bit. 
But like you said, many times before, 2005, there was no steward. There was no bit partitioned off. You could, you had to sort of, excuse me, sorry, can we help? And one of the, uh, funny, did it, it was years and years ago, funny told a story where, I think it was against the West Indies when he, he went out against our Maori Banks about an over before lunch or an over before tea. He blocked one, belted him for six, said he should have hit the next one for six. He said, he, he tells a great story. He says, I've hit this six and I don't know why I'm doing it. It's just he's thrown it up in the air and I've hit it, thinking, oh my God, what have I done that for? And then gone and tried and done it again and got bowled and walked back. And he said he's walking through the, the long room pavilion, no stewards, no partitions off. Somebody's hit him, well, him over the back of the, with a, a rolled up telegraph. So it, it's happened before. We, we, we get it all the time. Many times I've walked back through the, the pavilion and I've been told that no uncertain terms that I shouldn't have been picked for England. What are you doing playing for England? This is what the MCC members do to you when you walk through the... But society's changed, times have changed. Unfortunately, uh, Australia have taken matters into their hands by saying, you know, we're not going to take this. This is not acceptable. And the the MCC have had to move accordingly to it. So it'll be interesting to see where this goes because if she touring teams say we are not walking through a public place to get to the field, Logistically, loans is not fit for purpose. Then, from a dressing room point of view, have to install an elevator. Um, okay, final word on this section then goes, as promised, to the one and only, the inimitable David Bumble Lloyd. He was speaking to Andy Goldstein and Danny Murphy on Drive on Talksport. It didn't look great to me, and it depends if you go by the letter of the law. And what he could have said, the captain of Australia, what he could have said: Look, don't come to me. I don't make the rules. He was out of his ground. We brought the wicket. He was out. Don't come to me. But you could just say, and, and I would definitely do it because it depends what sort of person you are, I, I would have withdrawn the appeal and just said to him, listen, don't keep taking the mick out of us and give us a little bit more respect or you're out. So there's there's different ways of doing it. Letter of the law is out. David, the, um, I heard someone talking this morning knows more than cricket than I, but they were talking about the... <clears throat> the kind of uh, acknowledgement around the cricket game that once you mark your crease with your foot, you know where you kind of draw a you know an invisible line with your foot. Is that, it, that he did that, and that should be enough? Not the umpire, um, you know, doing whatever he needs to do to move it on to the next over. W- would you agree with that? Is that something that's normal? No, I, I don't agree with that. He'd been going out of his ground. He, he got under a bouncer. He'd been going out of his ground at regular intervals, mm. just going out wandering out and they'd obviously latched onto it because the wicket keeper Carey in the same movement he's not delayed anything he's caught the ball and in the same movement he's brought in the stumps and he's out of his ground now you know it's a naive way of getting out it's an unsavoury way of getting out and there's many many people in the game Ben Stokes was one he said I would have withdrawn the appeal now Australia saw it differently I have no problem with that that's the way they play the game don't come to me, says Pat Cummings. It's nothing to do with me. He was out of his ground. The umpire gave him out. So you've two different ways of looking at mm. it. But like that will create controversy. But it's about time because it's been all so ovey-dovey as this ashes. Yeah. It needed a bit of arc. But would you have had a problem if we, we would have done it, Bumble? Yeah, ab- absolutely. Would. It's one of them things. I mean, you play it hard. and you, They always say you play hard, you play tough. It's a non-contact sport. And so, by the letter of the law, this lad wandered out of his ground, Johnny Bairstow, who I think is a fabulous cricketer, 
and he was he brought the wicket, the wicket keeper. Does you don't need to go any further. You can ask everybody in the world. Some will say yes, I'd have done it. Others have said no, I wouldn't have done it. And so Pat Cummings, who seems to be a nice enough bloke, he said no, it's nothing to do with me. He was out of his ground. The umpire gave him out. Ben Stokes comes on and said I'd have withdrawn the appeal. Hmm. Would you think this is going to trigger a positive or negative reaction? Because what I mean is, you know, sometimes when you play sport and your emotions too high and there's too much revenge in your mind, you can get a bit too aggressive and too stupid with your, your eagerness to win the next one to shut them up. Do you know what I mean? I do, Danny. And I think when I've just said it needed a spark to ignite this Ashes series, and certainly the way that Ben Stokes played after that incident, mm. you know, he obviously you know, got his dander up, really, and played wonderfully well. But there's also that, that they say it'll come back and bite you in the backside. And so there are three more matches to go. But it needed a spark. It, it's, it's never has been all lovey-dovey as at the Ashes. And that might be the spark. England have got to come back from 2-0. Now, you know, they've played some lovely cricket. Let's go to football, Danny. You can play beautiful football Correct. and lose. Yeah. It's about winning. You've got to win. The one and only David Bumble Lloyd. Don't forget, Harmy will be back alongside John Norman on TalkSport at 7pm after every day's play with the following on Ashes Inquest. Right, um, continuing to uh, to look back at Lords and, and particularly addressing the Johnny Bairstow stumping, let's hear from former Australia spinner Brad Hogg. He was speaking on TalkSport Breakfast and said he was disappointed Australia didn't call Johnny Bairstow back after he was dismissed. Look, I was disappointed from the start. I thought uh, Australia should have called Bairstow back. It's not the same as a man cad. It's not the same as a stumping. It's not the same as running someone out when they've been batting out of their crease. Bairstow wasn't batting out of his crease. He was batting in his crease. Uh, he'd done the, uh, the same act a number of times at the end of the over uh, beforehand. Australia should have warned him if they were going to do this. He wasn't taking any advantage. The umpires... Both of them weren't looking at mm. the stumps when the stumps were broken and Bairstow was out of his crease. They all thought that the ball was dead. And then because the umpire hadn't called over, they went up to the third umpire. So at the end of the day, it was not a good spectacle for uh, test cricket. England, for me, were hard done by. And uh, you don't want to win a test match by taking cheap wickets like that. It's just not cricket. Brad, that's what the saying come from, I suppose. It's not cricket, but I, I, they've not cheated, have they? I mean, it's just uh, a winning mentality that's just probably gone right to the boundary of sportsmanship. But part of me says that's why Australia keep winning. Yeah, definitely. Look, as as a player, or as a past player, if I was on the field, I'll, I'll put my hand up and say, I'd say that I'd uh, accept the decision and would have done it myself. But as an uh, administrator now and looking at it from a different perspective and on an entertainment value, you don't want this in your game. And uh, we, we've had a brilliant first test match. And when you're coming to the final stages of the second test match, you don't want controversy like this. You want, to, you want your dismissals to be legitimate and um, you, you just want the game to be played in a hard but fair manner. And as I said before, Bairstow was batting in his crease. He wasn't batting out of his crease. He marked it and then walked off. And uh, for me, I, I thought Australia pushed the boundaries of the spirit of cricket here. Well, that's former Australia spinner Brad Hogg speaking to Natalie Sawyer and Dean Saunders over on TalkSport Breakfast on TalkSport. 
I think it's fair to say that uh, he is an Australian in a minority. Um, and to confirm that, we're joined now, as promised at the top of the show, by Malcolm Conn from the Sydney Morning Herald. Uh, Malcolm, um, he, he is the only Australian that Harmy and I uh, are aware of who thinks that Australia should have withdrawn that appeal. Yeah, well, he's a lovely bloke, Brad, but his uh, wrist spinners have always been a little bit different, and Brad's been more different than most. So um, there's probably about three technical issues and uh, uh, understanding of the law that he's missed on the way through. But um, I love his sentiment for uh, trying to look after the ponds. <laughs> um, your view? I, I mean, uh, was there any any semblance of debate in your mind? No, he was out. He walked out of his crease and he's out. I mean, from... The age of uh, six, when we start playing cricket, if you walk out of your crease and someone takes the bails off, it's the stumps, you're out. And it's still the same in test cricket, you're out. So I'm in the uh, Owen Morgan, Andrew Strauss camp, who sort of described it as sort of dozy and naive. I just think that a lot of the fuss is uh, around the fact that uh, obviously Bairstow's going to be very disappointed and very embarrassed that he got out at such a pivotal moment when the, the situation was probably set up for him to play one of his sort of amazing baseball innings that uh, he's done something as dopey as that, walked out of his crease and uh, given the Australians the opportunity to get him out. So it's a batsman's responsibility to stay in his crease. It's the same with man-cad. So I hate man-cadding, but uh, if batsmen walk out of their crease, then they're fair game. So I can't see an issue, but uh, clearly... There seems to be one. Yeah, there seems to be one. And I think that is to sugarcoat the fact that England played some, you know, best I might have played, you know, had a dozy sort of five seconds. And I think it's covering the fact that England had a, a, a dozy couple of days at Lords where things didn't go um, the way they wanted and the way they played was, was somewhat questionable. Um, and I think the best I went to them is maybe taking it, this, this pressure off that dressing room who hasn't performed at Lords and when you look at that Malcolm you see the, the the sort of I think all the rhetoric about what's happened with Johnny Bester when England feel hard done by what do you make of Brendan McCollum's comments and he said this will galvanising this will make England you know, a much better team well I've got to say I'm particularly surprised at the way um, Brendan McCollum's doubled down on all of this I mean if you look back at his own career as a wicketkeeper and then as captain of uh, New Zealand he did similar things himself and uh, they were quite legitimate um, so I'm not sure that um, he's in a position to go hurling cricket balls around in glass houses. I'm particularly surprised that England aren't focusing on themselves. I mean they've been in positions in both test matches to win them and I think that they've given away winning positions with dumb cricket and I wonder how well prepared they've actually been for this series whether having sort of golf and bar bonding tours to Scotland when Australia's playing the World Test Championships against India and, and having a tough cricket going into the first test and then seeing England not fielding particularly well, dropping catches. Uh, the second test, they gave away 60 extras, most of which were either buys or no balls and wides in a match that uh, came down to 43 minutes, uh, sorry, 43 runs. I just think that um, it's a it's a welcome distraction for Bearstow in the way that the team hasn't played particularly well. I mean, if you look at the situation with Spin, they didn't have a plan B for Leach. If he went down, I'm, uh, it's very disappointing that he's out with a back injury. But he, as we've seen with Nathan Lyon, you can do a hamstring or a or a calf at any stage, and you need a uh, a plan B. They didn't have one. I think that uh, England should be really disappointed that they put themselves in winning positions and haven't capitalised. And I think this is a, a welcome distraction for them. 
Malcolm, I can't remember too many times in the last 20 years when Australia has been put under such intense pressure um, in both test matches. And the way that they've stood up to that pressure, and particularly the captaincy of Cummins, I, mean, I guess it's understandable because it's, it's an England Ashes series, so all the attention in England anyway has been on England and, and what they've done wrong. But this Australian team has been immensely impressive. It's incredible the way that they have continued to hang on because I thought for most of that first test, England made the running. And um, certainly after that first day when they're eight for 393 and the Australians were just hanging on, the Australians were cock a hoop when England declared because they, they could see themselves facing sort of 450 for another half hour with the way Joe Root was going. So um, I think there's an advantage lost there uh, straight away where it, you know, matched it was uh, so close and another 50 runs, I think, would have been made all the difference. So I'm a bit concerned that actually England, when they have played well, when they have set themselves up with positive cricket, have, have sort of been drinking the Kool-Aid uh, out of the baseball cult barrel and um, have actually wasted their opportunities. Michael, would you say this is the be- I put against, I think, the best side of all time? In sort of my Ashes career at the start, 2002-3, Eve Wall's team, uh, Ricky's team in 2005. You say this is the best one that's come over to England since 2005? Oh, absolutely. Uh, and they're primed for this. I mean, this is a, a, an experienced group uh, in their 30s who um, have got a point to prove. They haven't won in England for 22 years. They want to... Uh, lay down the marker that um, that they are the best team in the world, that that that, um, that they've won the World Test Championship and they want to win in England. Um, as Steve Smith said, it's uh, it's on his bucket list. It's the one thing that he hasn't done in an amazing cricket career. So uh, the Australians are primed for this and uh, they know that this could be the, the, the sort of the farewell tour, um, particularly those fast bowlers. Harmy, you know yourself, once you get into your 30s, um, uh, you start to feel it. And I'm just interested to see how much longer some of those bowlers can go on. But uh, and Nathan Lyons now 35. Um, unfortunately, he's out for the rest of this series. So these Australians were determined to really be able to uh, hang this shingle on their wall. Just before I ask you about possible changes for Headingley, um, let's hear from Nathan Lyon talking about his replacement, if he used to be his replacement, Todd Murphy. I've got a lot of confidence in, in Todd. Firstly, he's a great kid. Uh, he's wanting to learn um, along the way, which is amazing. But his his stock ball is good enough in international cricket. We've seen that in India, in arguably the hardest place to bowl spin. Um, yes, it's going to be a different different challenge with the England batters. But um, if they do come at him, I, I think it, it provides Todd with a, a decent challenge, but opportunity to to leave his footstep within Test cricket here in England. So um, it's a big Ashes series. Um, He's excited by the opportunity, um, and yet again, I've told him my phone's always on, no matter whether I'm sitting in the change room next to him or I'm watching at home in bed. That's Nathan Lyon talking about Todd Murphy. Uh, I don't know whether he'll play at Headingley. Mal, what are your thoughts, and will Scott Boland come back into contention? I'd be very surprised if Todd Murphy didn't play. The Australians like to have a spinner as uh, balance for the team, and, and Murphy is the real deal. I mean, we saw that... Um, he made his uh, debut in India. Um, Australia were brave enough to play two off-spinners in India, and Murphy really acquitted himself well. I think he took 14 wickets at 25 across the four tests. I think he knocked over Virat Kohli twice, had no fear bowling against some of the best players of spin in the world, um, and I know that the conditions suited spinners over there. 
they won't here, um, but um, there's certainly no qualms about Murphy being able to stand up. So I would expect him to come in. And uh, yes, I think they'll consider Scott Boland. Um, Josh Hazelwood um, hasn't played a lot of test cricket over the last couple of years. He's had injuries. He's come back. He's had to do extra work in this test match because Lyon was injured and um, the, the four quicks had to do most of the work. So it wouldn't surprise me if Hazelwood was uh, rested uh, with a tight turnaround after Lords into Headingley and that uh, Boland played in his place. And uh, it also wouldn't surprise me if at all. In fact, I'd be very surprised if Todd Murphy didn't play. And Malcolm, just finally about this Australian team, we talked about England's team at the top, about you know, galvanising them over the best of incident and McCollum and possibly sort of paper over cracks that England have got had in this series. How do you expect Australia to go about their work with, you know, a hostile, heavenly crowd? Are we expecting an even harder-nosed Australian side to, to be sort of more as a unit going into what would be possibly the end of the Ashes? Oh, look, there's absolutely no question that these guys are... are deadly determined to win this series but that's been their their, their mission for some time I mean they are they consider all this carry-on noise I mean they toured uh, here four years ago in 2019 sort of coming off the back of Sandpaper Gate and they absolutely copped it everywhere they went so as Steve Smith said after he copped it again at Lord's um, he said I just felt like a normal day's cricket in England as far as he was concerned so the Australians are unconcerned about all the fuss Paddy Cummins is a very level-headed guy Andrew McDonald is uh, a very level-headed guy as coach who sort of works in the background. And and the Australians are sort of experienced, hard-nosed, talented cricketers who know they're good enough if they play their best cricket. So um, they'll just uh, go about it as they normally do. And um, it'll be interesting to see if uh, England can stand up to it because in the, when it's really mattered, England, as I've said, England have put themselves in a position to win both these test matches and haven't done it. And um, I think that that opens up cracks to suggest that uh, maybe we're England will be thinking, well, maybe we're not good enough after all. Anyway, thank you so much for your time. Enjoy heading there. I know you'll have a brilliant time. And um, yeah, well, Ben Stokes says that they've won three tests before, twice. They've beaten New Zealand 3-0 and Pakistan 3-0. So there's all the, all the belief in the world from that, that extraordinary captain that they can come back and win the series. Well, history says they won't because... Uh, there's only one team in history in the in Ashes contest that's come back from 2-0 down and won the series. And uh, that happened to have a guy called Bradman in 36-37 who made two double centuries in 180. So uh, I don't think England's got any Bradmans as well as Stokes and Root have played. Malcolm Conn, thank you again. As I said, enjoy Headingley and uh, hopefully we'll get you back on later in the summer. Thanks, guys. Pleasure. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, alongside former number one bowler in the world, Steve Harmison. Next up, we'll look ahead to this week's third test and ask if short ball tactics will become the norm in test cricket. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You're listening to The Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Mantle, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. And if you've missed any of the show or you wish to catch up, you can download the podcast from the following on feed, now available via the free TalkSport app or wherever you get your podcasts. Ben Stokes is uh, bullish and confident, as you would expect. Um, And uh, he said, after that defeat at Lord's, that the situation they find themselves in couldn't be more perfect for him and his team. When you then sort of sit back and understand where we are at in the series, it's actually very exciting to know that the way in which we are playing our cricket is actually couldn't be more perfect for the situation we find ourselves in. You know, we have to win these three games to, to get this earned back. And we are a team who are obviously willing to, to put ourselves out there and do things against the narrative. So now these next three games is an even a better opportunity for us than I think that we've ever found ourselves in before. Well, um, that was Ben Stokes. Um, I, I, I don't know about how perfect being 2-0 down would have been in your day and age, Harmy, but um, <laughs> as as Ben says, he, his team does things differently these days. Absolutely, differently. And I, you can see what he's he's trying to say. He's trying to say that this team, uh, when they're put in a position to go and fight and they see the sort of finishing line in front of them, then they react accordingly. And I think what he's saying is in the last sort of 12 months, how many times have they had to go and chase a mammoth total um, up until Lords of getting themselves over the line? This is what he seems to, his team sort of galvanizes them by going, right, we'll, ch- we'll chase 279, we'll chase 299, we'll chase 370. You know, this is what this team is, is good at when they see the, the finishing line in front of them. Unfortunately, the finishing line in front of them means three win- three wins from three in an Ashes series when I'm not sure the Australians are, are going to you know, take the foot off the gas. So England are going to have to do something absolutely extraordinary to get back into this series because all I've seen so far in these two test matches is England have played some good cricket. England have played some great cricket. But unfortunately, every time they've let Australia in, Australia have not let England back in. They've not reopened the door to let them back in. So... Perfect situation. I'm not too sure, Ben, but I can see what you're saying. The finishing line is there. We've got to win three test matches, um, but we're going to have a right good crack at it. Right. Just before we hear from former England captain Joe Root talking about the Bairstow incident and also looking forward to Headingley, um, what changes do you see as possibilities? I mean, does Mark Wood come in and play? If he wasn't fit for Lords, why was he in the squad? Do they rest Jimmy Anderson for Headingley? I'm surely, surely that would. I don't know. I mean, he, he, he'll play at Old Trafford, I guess, if sentiment plays a part. Anyway, 
did Josh Tongue do enough to, to keep his place? Does Stuart Broad? Gosh, I mean, suddenly there are a lot of possibilities opening up. You said last week that you didn't think that, you know, that England were actually going to use this squad of 16. You said you, you thought they were basically going to rotate 12. But suddenly, you know, it looks like all 16 have got a, a shot. Yeah, they're gonna they're coming back into it. I didn't I didn't see the Josh Tongue selection. I thought that was left field. I thought the big fight did brilliant. I thought he was excellent. I thought he was a point of difference. So I'm pleased he he was in. That was a an added bonus for me watching watching Josh bowl. Mark Wood has to play. You got no question now. Ninety five percent fit. Ninety percent fit. If he said he was like that, it lords tough. You're gonna have to play. We need to. We can't bowl eighty mile an hour bounces. Australia and expect to win. Yes, we're getting wickets, but we're just 370 in the fourth innings because their bouncer bowlers are a lot quicker than ours. They just don't get. So Mark needs to play. Tongue needs to play. There's a bit of rain forecast for, for Henry this week, which would would, give, would mean Anderson probably would have to play in that um, role with a look up rather than look down. But I think Jimmy's Jimmy looked at uh, after two test matches. He looks as though he probably needs a rest, and we need him for old, we possibly need him for Old Trafford. We get a positive result ahead of me. So my bone attack will be Tom Wood, Broad, uh, Mo and Ali's going to come back in, and, and and Ben Stokes, Ollie Robinson looks miles away. He really does. He looks from a pace point of view and lip off the surface. He looks back to the the, the sort of the old Ollie, Ollie Robinson that John Lewis criticised in Australia, um, and whether it's a rhythm thing, whether he hasn't bowled, whether he's still injured. We don't know what happens behind the scenes, but Ollie doesn't look the usual self. He was averaging seventy-eight mile an hour, trying to bowl bounces at that. But there's no, there's no point picking him. So all that comes into the mix, and then the other one would probably Dan Lawrence have to play back number three because I'd be very surprised if Ollie Pope will play this week if his injuries are as bad as what you know they look. He didn't feel in either innings, and he can't go into this game and get a substitute because he's come into the he's come into the contest with an injury so you can't have a substitute so unless he's going to have to slip or I'm not sure where you know, from a fielding position where you'd fit him in you'd want him in for his batting but if the shoulder's hampering his batting as well then I mean you're better off just picking Dad Lawrence and, and, and making sure he's he's fully fit going forward so I'd imagine there'll be the selection conundrums but for me the bowling is so important Wood, Tom, Stokes, Ali and if Broad is fit and can get through the four test matches now in, in f- five weeks, I think Stuart Broad would be the other bowler I'd pick and I'd give Jimmy Anderson a rest for Old Trafford and I'd leave Ollie Robinson out. And now, as promised, here's Joe Root on the Johnny Bairstow stumping and England's prospects at Headingley. To be honest, I can't believe how, how much has been covered on it. Personally, I try and put myself in that situation, in that position, and I'd like to think I'd have dealt with it very differently. I think Ben spoke very well on it at the end of the game. As a team, we want to play our cricket a certain way and we want to leave a certain legacy and clearly uh, it's been very different how we've gone about cricket, test cricket in the last 18 months on the, in terms of how we play our cricket physically, if you like, but I also think we play our cricket in a slightly different way in that respect as well, but I think it's time for, for everyone to, to move on and let's concentrate on this game now. For us, we've got three opportunities to win the Ashes and we've got to play well for three games, but We've shown our recent form that we're more than capable of doing that. We love playing at this venue. You know, you go back to 2019, that Ashes environment, the, the crowd and the 
the atmosphere that was created throughout that, that test match was was incredible. Um, you know, that last day, the noise, the the interaction from the from the crowd was exceptional. And, you know, that's why we love playing here is because we're so well supported and um, you know it makes for a, a brilliant spectacle. So I'm, I'm sure we'll get you know a similar amount of support this week as well. It's a big blow there. Ali's been phenomenal for us for the last 18 months. He's you know he's stepped up as vice captain of this team, and it you know is the more responsibility that's been given to him, the more you've got out of him as a player, um, as a leader within the group. You know he'd be a big miss for us. Obviously he's. He's a hell of a player. Um, he's a great mind to have in the group as well. I think Ben gets gains a huge amount from having him as vice captain, as do a number of the guys around. So, um, of course, it'd be a big loss. He's been an integral part of this team um, and will continue to be for many more years to come. Uh, there was an incredible session at Lord's, session and a half almost, where we, we had something like 98% bouncers. Uh, and uh, I personally thought that the umpires needed to intervene or at least be a lot stricter. I mean, you know, what happened to two and over? It's it absolutely crazy. This is what Marcus Truscothic had to say on that subject. We as coaches were sat on the balcony watching it and you know, thinking how it's going to change the game and adapt the game because I think you can clearly see, and maybe on a pitch like it is at the moment when it's, it's a little bit too paced and sometimes the ball comes off at different um, bounces. I think we saw one, the two from Joe Root, one bounced at a certain height and then another one got out it tonight it might change the way that the game is played when the ball gets old and the pitches are flat you might see a lot more of it in, in future time to come England batting coach Marcus Truscothic talking about the short ball tactic you can understand why both teams resorted to it Harmy there was you know the ball was old and soft it wasn't doing anything off the pitch but um, it created a, a surreal scenario it was dreadful viewing and, and I thought the umpiring was, was poor yeah, I think there, there could have been, you said two for the over. There was more than that, but the umpires could have given wides, could have given no balls, and then that would have, I'm not saying that they would have stopped, but it would have been it would have been harder to bowl, you know, constantly, bounce after bounce after bounce. Look, I don't have a problem with that, with that tactic. The issue I have caught with it is they're bowling at 90 and we bowl at 80. It's a completely different context when it comes to that. It really is. It really is. You know, you look at, and I said this a couple of weeks ago, you see Ricky Ponting on, on commentary. We've seen Justin Lauer, who's working for the radio out here. And you go in 2005 against well, Flintoff, Armas and Jones. No matter how well Australia batted, their batters will tell you, wow, we were in a contest. That ball was coming at us with some velocity and a contest. Adam Gilchrist told us you know, on SEN a few weeks ago, that it was just a, a contest. I think the Australian bowlers have given England that scent. It's a contest. I'm not sure the Australian batters are feeling exactly the same way against Borg Robinson and and, uh, and and Anderson because naturally they're not that type of bowler. So they're interesting tactics. But if we are going to go down that route and I've got no problem doing it, we have to then think about our selection and pick bowlers who can do it. Told, I thought he did it very, very well. We need Mark Wood to do it. Ben Stokes, is he fit enough to do it? I'm not 100% sure. One thing is for certain, Jimmy Anderson, Stuart Broad are the most skillful bowlers that England have ever produced, hitting the top of North Stone. And you're asking, you might as well, it'll be like asking Joe Root about left-handed. It really is so alien for, for Anderson, and Rob, Anderson and Broad. So I think if you're going to go down that route, which I've got no problem, pick the right bowlers. And a reminder, you can hear updates of the third Ashes test from Headingley on TalkSport from Thursday morning. 
with a daily review show on TalkSport at 7pm after every day's play. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Malthorpe, and Double Ashes winner Steve Harmison. And now the inaugural season of Major League Cricket starts next week with a whole host of big names uh, playing across the tournament in the five teams. Ahead of the start of the competition, Harmi and I caught up with the San Francisco Unicorns owner, Anant Rajaraman, to get his thoughts ahead of the first game in Dallas. Let's start with you. A combination of, of laziness and ignorance leaves people like me and Harmi describing you as a tech wizard, which um, is only because we don't have the experience or the, the intelligence to understand what, what you really do. But tech wizard, Silicon Valley, tell us a little bit about yourself and and um, and and yeah, and then we'll go on to the journey into your journey into cricket. That's good. Uh, but first of all, uh, Neil and Harmi, uh, it's a pleasure being here. Thanks for inviting me on your show. In terms of uh, my journey, I think uh, you know uh, you call me a tech wizard. I think the real wizards would be very unhappy when they hear that. But you know, uh, <laughs> but but uh, you know, I, I guess uh, in terms of my journey, I grew up in India. Uh, you know, watching cricket. I went to school uh, my all my uh, you know, high school in India. Um, and uh, grew up a cricket fan and uh, you, you madly in love with the sport. India won the World Cup in 1983, you, you know all that. Um, and then um, uh, I came uh, to the US for my uh, graduate education uh, to do my PhD in computer science at Stanford University, which is just down the street from where I live uh, right now in, in Palo Alto, California. Uh, and as, as, I, uh, as I did my graduate school, uh, that was just the start of the era where you could actually watch cricket in the U.S. using a satellite dish, right? So, uh, so a bunch of us uh, got together uh, and pointed up and got a satellite dish, uh, and we could still follow the game, and you could also, of course, follow it online on on Cricketfo and and things like that. So, I was able to keep up with uh, uh, with the sport uh, even as I moved uh, to uh, to the U.S. Then. As it happened, uh, I, I started my do, working on my PhD in '93, but in 1996, I actually dropped out. Uh, and together with a bunch of my uh, friends, we had come up with an idea for for a uh, for a technology startup. Uh, so we created that uh, that company. It was a company called Jungli. It was one of the earliest companies in the uh, sort of online shopping space back in 1996. Uh, and that company, in a couple of years, in '98, uh, ended up being acquired by Amazon.com. So then I end up, ended up working for Amazon for a couple of years. These are the early years at Amazon when the whole company fit into a small single building. Um, and we, we were still figuring, you know, and we were still figuring, the company was just only selling books when, uh, you know, which is, you know, you, uh, when, uh, uh, you know, when we, uh, when we were acquired. Um, and then we, uh, my team at Jangri sort of helped create, uh, what you see where you, where you can buy, uh, Products from third-party merchants on Amazon, not just from Amazon. They have a marketplace where, where you can buy third parties. So that was all built by the Jungli team um, uh, when, when, when we got into Amazon. And that was our contribution there. So after I left Amazon, um, then I did, did another company uh, that ended up being acquired by Walmart. Uh, uh, then um, these days I'm doing uh, venture capital uh, where I invest uh, in, in young companies. Uh, that are doing interesting, uh, interesting things. So that's kind of my journey on the, uh, uh, you know, uh, on the business side. Uh, but in, in, throughout all this, I've been, you know, following cricket, travel to see it, follow the game uh, closely. Uh, and then when I, uh, the opportunity came along to sort of invest in major league cricket, uh, I jumped in together with my partner, Venki. We decided uh, not, you know, that we uh, we actually wanted to 
uh, uh, owner team. Um, and so we, we became uh, owners of the uh, San Francisco Unicorns. Um, you know, it's not a, not something I would ever have imagined, uh, you know, 25 years ago, 30 years ago, uh, you know, watching Cricket India that I, you know, end up owning a, a cricket team in the US, but, you know, life is strange. And, and Anand, would you, you just describe in yourself and talking you're so passionately about, about cricket and moving in your your sort of life in circles that you, you, you've done in? And a couple of things that comes to me off the back of what you've been saying is, you understand what a startup and a company can, where it can go. So I think the question, the obvious question, the passion you have about cricket and you, what you've seen about MLC cricket at this minute in time, mm-hmm. how confident are you that this is the right way we're going? This is the right choice I've made. And if we in, keep investing in this certain way, like many other companies that you've done, that this will take off in the US, cricket in the US, probably the first time it's ever taken mm-hmm. off. Look, the, the key innovation, I, and, and uh, you know, uh, and sometimes I've explained this to people, is that cricket used to be five days long. Uh, we, we still love test cricket, uh, but I don't think that's the right model uh, to, to bring to the, uh, to the U.S. And, uh, and even one-day cricket is, uh, is, is far too long a format. I think the big change, uh, the huge innovation that's happened uh, in the last like, 20 years is 2020. Um, and 2020 has brought the game down to like a three-hour chunk. Uh, which I think is, is is the perfect package for the uh, for the world market. I mean, you, you, the the overall uh, the popularity of cricket even in India has increased since since twenty twenty. You, 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 I mean, I wouldn't have believed that the popularity of cricket in India can increase, but it's actually increased due to due to twenty twenty and the IPL. Um, and so it's 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 actually the perfect package. It's sort of the right similar size to like a like a baseball game or you know a football game. Uh, so it's 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 a it's a it's a right size package. Uh, to bring to the U.S., uh, that's that's one uh, you know, one part of it. Uh, the second part of it is, I think it's sort of uh, it's it's exciting all the way through. There, there's action all the way through. There, there are no dull moments in the game. That's that's that that's super interesting. Um, and the third is that the market I think is ready for it. Um, the U.S., as you know, is, a, is the largest sports consuming market in the world. But over the last like 25 years, there are people like me. Uh, right, who've come and said, you know, uh, settled in the U.S. and call uh, call the U.S. home now. Um, so there, there's huge uh, populations uh, from the Indian subcontinent, uh, but also from England, from Australia, from South Africa, all the cricket playing countries living in the U.S. Uh, who are, you know, ready to um, uh, and and looking for uh, some opportunities to to watch uh, to watch cricket. And and you can see this from the statistics on cricket viewing. There's a uh, the, the, the the website called Willow. Uh, that that actually owns the rights to stream uh, cricket in the uh, in the US uh, you know, the, for the IPL, for example, and many other sports. And they shared some data with us that really were eye opening. They, they you know the, the number of minutes of cricket that are streamed in the US uh, is is actually greater than the number of minutes of Major League Soccer, uh, right? So which is which is actually a fairly established sport in the US. Uh, Major League Soccer has been around for twenty years now, so. Uh, and it's sort of a little bit of an unfair comparison because cricket matches tend to be longer than soccer matches. Uh, but still, it, it shows you that, uh, the, the, you know, that there are people who are passionate and, you know, want to watch cricket. Uh, and what's better than to give them cricket in their own time zone uh, as opposed to sitting up late at night to watch, uh, you know, watch a game that's played in the, you know, on the other side of the world, right? Yes, you're absolutely right. You mentioned a three-hour chunk. Uh, that's... Um... 
That that was the aim. But in the IPL, those games are about four and a half hours now. They oh, seem to have expanded. Yeah. But I wanted to ask you, um, there's a perception about wealthy sports team owners. I guess that there are the millionaires who indulge themselves in their passion. And, it, and it's a journey of, of um, as I say, indulgent passion. And there are those um, who are very clinical in their analysis of the business opportunities. Um, and I, I wonder which one you are. Um, I, I mean, <laughs> you've been a very successful businessman. You are a very successful businessman. Is this a, a risky venture? Are you indulging a passion? Or can you see phenomenal business opportunities in the US? Look, I think uh, it's a bit of both, to be honest, right? Uh, the only reason I am uh, got involved in this is because of, of my passion, right? So uh, it's not a straight line tech investment like, like I normally make, right? Uh, so, but, but that said, I do think, uh, bearing my, my, my hard-headed businessman hat, that, that there's a good chance that this plays out and becomes huge. More than uh, more than uh, financial returns. For me, success in this is defined by: if we, can we take cricket and make cricket a mainstream sport in the U.S.? Uh, I think that's that is the the definition of of success uh, that, uh, that that I'm using here, as opposed to you know uh, what is, is is there are there gobs of money to be made here, right? So. Uh, that's you know we're all uh, all the team owners uh, we t- uh, have are passionate about cricket and we come in uh, with open eyes. I think it's going to be like the first five years. To be very honest, are probably going to be a money sink, right? So it's, it's going to uh, it's probably going to uh, take uh, take a lot of investment for the first three to five years uh, to to build up the audience uh, to to get the um, local broadcast market, for example. Uh, used to cricket because the local TV broadcasters have, you know, the cricket is a new thing to them, right? So it's not like they're jumping up and down to to show cricket on prime time uh, on 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 their TV channel. So that's going to take some uh, some time. Get the local advertisers warmed up. That's going to take some time. So we, so it's going to probably going to take three to five years of of investment uh, before this this takes off. Uh, but what I'm hoping is that after the three to five year investment time, it takes off like like a hockey stick and. Uh, <laughs> Uh, so this is, uh, by the way, this is not. Uh, this is very similar to the way uh, we uh, think of uh, startups in Silicon Valley. If you think of any startup in Silicon Valley, I was an investor in Facebook, for example, in, in the early days. The first couple of years, two to three years, you are in investment mode, right? So you don't even have a product yet. You have to you have to invest to build the product. You have to invest to market it, right? And you start seeing profits if you're lucky from year four or five. And if you're some companies, you don't even see it after that, right? So. Uh, Amazon, for example, became profitable only after like 10 or 15 years of, of being in existence, right? So uh, famously, but now they are one of the most profitable companies in the world. So we're used to this this model in Silicon Valley of being like patient investors where you sort of have to, you know, invest uh, for, for a few years before, uh, you know, before it takes off. And how important, there's there's two things to this question. How important is the, the American team in this, because they're in the World Cup uh, World Cup qualifier in uh, Harare in Zimbabwe in July, how mm. important is that the the national team starts to perform and gets better? And then to knock on from that is how important when you're talking about investment, bringing some of the world stars to you know the six franchises that are going to perform because it's all well and good investment in a brand, but if you've not got the stars then your credibility goes a little bit. So how important is it that you get that 
model right that the best T20 players in the world in the next three to five years come and play in the in Major League Cricket? Yeah, so uh, let me answer both those questions. The first question you asked was about the US national team, which uh, which we are all rooting for, obviously, right? So uh, I think it's super important that the US national team uh, does, uh, does really well. From a couple of points of view, I think, uh, you know, I think in the long run, uh, we want the U.S. to have a, good, a, cricket, a, a cricket team that can go and compete at world uh, world events, including the World ODIs and the World T20 tournaments. We don't go toe-to-toe with the uh, with the big teams because that brings a lot of credibility. Um, and it'll uh, that, that could also become the beginning of, for example, international tours and to the U.S., which, which I think would be very good for building up the sport in, in, the, in the U.S. as well. And it's also good for the U.S. public to see the U.S. national team performing well uh, and winning, right? For example, uh, soccer in the U.S. grows a lot when they see the women's soccer team doing globally well and winning the you know women's World Cup and and so on, right? So, uh, so we want to see the U.S. national team uh, doing well on the uh, on, on the global stage. So that's that's super important uh, to to grow the sport uh, in the U.S. So in terms of getting the stars, I, that, that goes without saying. I think we, we are getting the, you know, the best talent in the world uh, to come and play uh, as in this tournament. Um, and and it's, it's happening, even starting from the first tournament. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm really thankful to all the uh, big, uh, you know, all, all the famous cricketers, uh, all the highly talented cricketers who are, who are taking a leap of faith. Uh, and coming to the U.S. to uh, to play in our in our in our little fledgling tournament, right? That uh, that's just getting started. But the, they they taking the leap of faith. We are having bless their hearts, uh, you know, Aaron Finch and and Marcus uh, Marcus Toynis, uh and uh, Lungi Nigiri, who uh, these are the three players we have announced. But there are many more. So we we haven't and Andrik Nortia and uh, uh, you know playing for, playing for the other teams and uh, Jason Roy, right? So uh, it's. Uh, uh, pretty much, uh, uh, it's 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 a who's who of uh, the international uh, top international players, the people we saw playing in the IPL, except of course the, the Indian players, right? So, and for, you know, we we can't have players from India coming and playing, which for for uh, because because the BCCI uh, doesn't allow uh, players from India to come and play uh, globally. Uh, but pretty much from every other country, we're going to have uh, the stars coming and playing in this in this tournament. And that's for two reasons. One is, I think the uh, be, be, uh, since we are starting a league, I think uh, and and the US is a big sporting market. Uh, the uh, the player uh, salary, the salary cap is, I think, uh, is, is is a very good salary cap. Uh, it's sort of it's 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 not obviously not as good as the IPL, but probably second to that, right? In terms of uh, what uh, what we can. Offer the players to come and play, and and speaking to a lot of the players, there is a there is a lot of genuine interest in coming to the U.S. Independent of the uh, the, the the financial uh, the immediate financial component of it, uh, right? Because everybody the, the players are are super eager. Shane Watson, our coach, for example, right? Uh, they they're all they're all super eager to to develop the uh, to develop the sport in the uh in the uh, in, in the US um and uh, they see this as a long term thing and uh many of them are coming with their with their uh, with their spouses this is a great place to travel and bring your family to uh, as well right uh, in addition to playing the cricket right so uh, so i think for all these reasons we will get the top international tournament and and my analogy is the following right? i think the, the top Top international tournament for crickets, it's going to be the IPL. It's, it's going to be hard to compete with the IPL. India, the domestic market in India is huge, right? It's going to be hard to compete. But I think it's it's very legitimate and 
fair and uh, to to hope uh, and to expect that the U.S. tournament, Major League Cricket, becomes one of the top three in the world, top three T T Twenty tournaments in the world. And my analogy is like in in uh, in, uh, in in tennis, you have the Grand Slam events. There are four Grand Slam events in in tennis, uh, right? Uh, the, the majors. I think the U.S. Uh, Major League Cricket is going to be one of the Grand Slam events of, uh, of T20 cricket, um, right? So it's one of the top two, three or four tournaments in the world where the top players will want to come and play because it's one of the major tournaments. And uh, there's certainly the market uh, isn't there now. Um, there are many who say that the IPL franchise owners have uh, so much power that they effectively are, well, if not running, administering the the global game. They certainly exert uh, enormous influence. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're one of just two teams. I mean, four of the six teams are owned by IPL franchises. You're you are one of two who are not. That that could be that could be fun taking a, a seat at the table um, of franchise owners when when you all get together. It's a little bit of a David and Goliath story, isn't it? But uh, it's, uh, <laughs> uh, no, it's, it's to be honest, it's uh, you know I've been uh, it's I've been interacting with the with the with the IPL uh, team owners, uh, you know, for in our league, you know, it's, it's the we have the Texas Super Kings um, and the uh, Mumbai Indians, New York, and uh, uh, and the Washington team, the Seattle Orcas. Uh, they have minority ownership stake from the uh, you know from from, from the Delhi team. But so it's, you know, look, I've, I've been working with these uh, gentlemen uh, now as we put the league together. Uh, and, you know, the, it's, uh, the, the, it's been, um, you know, they, they've been incredibly professional to work with. Um, and uh, uh, it's, it's not been a case of them uh, trying to, uh, to crush us or anything like that. It's, it's, been, uh, they've been into, it's, been very, it's been a very professional uh, start to the league. And I think all of us are aligned in that. Uh, we want a league where the the cricket happens on a level playing field uh, because that's that's uh, and, and there are exciting games uh, that, that happen uh, because that's what's going to help grow the league, right? So uh, once on the playing field, I think it, it's going to it's it's going to be pretty level. Now I think it is going to be uh, fair to say that the uh, that the IPL teams the, there are some players who they would have preferential access to uh, because just because they play for the same teams. Uh, in, uh, in in the IPL, for example, they they'll obviously have first dibs on those players, and I think over over time there's going to be uh, these these teams are going to enter into contracts with these players that then go across multiple leagues, which we won't be able to match those uh, those kind of contracts, obviously, right? So so there's going to be, but I think there's enough talent in the cricketing world uh, that that we can put together six uh, very very competitive teams uh, teams on the field. I think, and it's going to be. Uh, some exciting cricket, and I'm I'm super excited about the about the team that we put together. And um, <clears throat> there are many in the in the old traditional world of cricket who see Major League cricket as a as a threat. Harmy and I have taken a particular interest in it because one of Harmy's uh, uh, oldest mates, Liam Plunkett, um, has been kind enough to to join us and and talk us through what's happening. We are very keen um, to to do a couple of shows from uh, Major League cricket and. Uh, and keep in touch. So uh, hopefully we'll um, try and get some sponsorship together and, and get ourselves out there. I presume building that international profile across media is would be very important, not just for the unicorns, but for the tournament. Absolutely, and you know we'll be delighted to see you uh, see you both here, and uh, hopefully we'll uh, you know we can carry on continue our conversation here, and then you know 
uh, I can see the, the lovely cricket bat uh, behind Harvey as well. And like, you know, I have my own that's been, uh, you know, autographed by uh, by Kapil Dev and Sachin and MS Dhoni. And I'd love to get uh, get your autograph as well. So let's, uh, you know, it'll be, uh, it'll be amazing to see you guys here and continue the conversation. Well, there's no doubt about who Harvey and I will be supporting. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, you, you know, Liam Plunkett plays for the for the San Francisco Unicorns, and uh, yes. uh, I was just uh, we just had our training camp uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I was just hanging out with uh, with Liam and with Cody Anderson, and uh, it's it's um, it's it's just uh, such an exciting time. Yeah, we just spoke to Liam, and yeah, I've known I've known Liam since he was 14 years old, um, and seeing his upbringing, upbringing, seeing through his upbringing, and. And to see him move to America because he, he he actually more or less moved to America during his Durham days when he was when he was playing with with me at Durham and seeing his enthusiasm over the last probably six or eight weeks, manners and the way he talks about Major League cricket, what he did say about six weeks ago, and we were looking at each other and we were like we were patting him on the back saying, "Yeah, how and how and encouraging that he's got a new lease of life in." Major League Cricket, but let's see where it goes in a few weeks' time. And we've just literally had him five minutes ago talking to him about it. And he's still got that spring, that zest, that this is going to be a great success. And I think yeah. I, on behalf of Neil, myself, I, I hope it is a great success because cricket in America, I think, changes cricket around the world. And I think, fingers crossed, and we we, we all wish you all the very, very best. Uh, thank you both. Thanks, thanks, Arnie. Uh, you know, we, you know, it's uh, it's it's things are coming together. It's it's always um, you know it's the first season, so it's a bit chaotic as as we bring things together from a business standpoint. You know, we have put it together a bunch of IPL teams, a bunch of US teams, and it's sort of a you know, it's a new league that we're starting. So it's it's chaotic, but but I have high hopes that once the cricket starts, everything's going to be smooth. Anant Rajamaran, thank you so much for your time. It's been brilliant talking to you. We look forward to catching up again um, with 40 days to go. And, uh, yeah, I hope uh, everything goes well. And we wish the unicorns all the very best. Thanks, you. Thanks, Harmi. It was lovely talking to you. That was the San Francisco Unicorns owner, Anant Rajaraman, speaking to myself and Harmi ahead of the launch of the inaugural Major League Cricket in the USA. All right, just a couple of other news items. England women uh, went uh, 6-0 down on points, that is, in uh, the Women's Ashes series, and need to win all of their remaining five games to win the Ashes for the first time since 2013-2014. It was a a close first T20, but um, again, just the class of the Australian women's team pulled through. Um, When it started to get close, their experience uh, was um, vital in the end. Um, The T20 finally reaches the quarterfinal stage been an absolute marathon which is ironic for the players because you know it's t20 cricket yeah it must have felt like at least a marathon to most of them they're playing like seven games in 10 days but the quarterfinals decided birmingham against essex lancashire surrey somerset versus Notts, and hampshire against worcestershire no surprises there how many were there no i don't think so i think the best eight teams seem to be the ones that got through somerset look a fantastic outfit Record one at twelve wins in group stages. So Birmingham, you know, they did well. Got eleven. Big two playing each other on the Lancashire and Surrey. You would love to have seen that on final. The two big, the big teams with the big stars, the big players on the big occasion. Um, but one of them is not going to be at finals. There, as much as Somerset has played unbelievably well, and Birmingham have played fantastically well. 
when it comes to pressure cricket, I think the winner between Lancashire and Surrey will be the ones that go on to go on and win the, the competition. But you're right. For the shortest format that we uh, we do have, it started an awful long time ago, and it doesn't end and it doesn't end anytime soon either. So yeah, you feel for the players a little bit. And in Zimbabwe, I'm not sure how much you've been able to keep up to date with uh, the World Cup qualifiers, but Sri Lanka booked their place at the World Cup with a game to spare. Um, Zimbabwe still looked like favourites to join them. The West Indies, of course, in case you've missed it, have been uh, eliminated. They reached the Super 6 stage, but without any points, and then they lost to Scotland. But Scotland and the Netherlands have been really good, and um, your, your, yours and my mate, Baz de Lerda has done particularly well for them. It's really, really good to see two associate nations making such a run for a place at the World Cup. If only they had more funds, um, we could really properly grow the game. But it has been fascinating. Sri Lanka have been pretty much imperious on dry wickets with their spinners, and they've dominated the competition. Yeah, they have. Yeah, they have. It's a shame for the Netherlands because they've shown the West Indies up. And you were expecting the West Indies, Zimbabwe, and Sri Lanka. They were going to be the headline team to to fight for the two spots. But West Indies were in shambles. Scotland have been they've been fantastic. Scotland, and you're right. The Netherlands, they had they've shown that. Just give them a little bit more. Give them a little opportunity, and give them a bit more to grow the game. Especially over here, this is why well, I'd love them to give them a little bit more to make Scotland, Ireland, um, the Netherlands a lot stronger to give us this part of this region of the world, you know, that just that little bit more so big touring teams can come across and experience Europe side of it for, for that little bit longer. So I expect Sri Lanka and Zimbabwe to go through, but and I don't think it's a foregone conclusion. I think well, they'll have to work really, really hard for them to, to get over the line. But like you said before, when it comes to the World Cup, no West Indies, that's, a, that's huge for the game. Um, but unfortunately for Scotland and for the Netherlands, they might just come up to just a little bit short. And just back to the G20 Blast, um, there'll be more on that, of course, uh, and more on the, the county cricket circuit. You can download the following on County Cricketer podcast with John Norman and the team, available now from all good podcast providers. And finally, Harmi, um, we'll end this show on, on a sad note. Um, former um, Australian captain Alan Border um, has uh, announced that uh, he's battling with Parkinson's disease. So our thoughts very much with him. I mean, he's he's very, very pragmatic and um, realistic about the situation. He's you know, you know He knows that his, um, the number of years he's got left is limited. He's going to make the best of them. And um, he's, um, you know, I, I wouldn't go so far as to say upbeat um, in a, a dreadful situation, but um, he is at least putting on, a brave face, uh, which you, well, I mean, when, when did Alan Borden not put on a brave face about anything? Absolutely, yeah, we are simping our, our best wishes to him. I had a load of stories about Alan Border growing up because my first captain for three years was David Boone, probably one of his his closest mates and his biggest allies when Alan Border took over that that Australian side and the in the sort of the early 80s and galvanised and, and nation and, and Booney was very much a big part of that so um, we had a lot of AB stories off, off that and it's it's a horrible disease Parkinson's and somebody who else is fighting with it and he's fighting hard and he's battling with it was at Lords this week didn't get to see him but I've seen a couple of pictures of him Sean Udall a great friend 
somebody who's you know, come on the show quite a bit and he's having a, a, a tough time with it. But one thing I'll know from from a distance from Alan Moore and definitely close up from Sean Udall and they'll fight hard and put a brave face on because, you know, they were natural fighters in their cricket careers and we wish them well when we're fighting this disease. We certainly do. You've been listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Mantlop, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. And if you've missed any of the show or you wish to catch up, as always, you can download the podcast from the following on feed, now available via the free TalkSport app or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back at the same time next week uh, to look back at the third Ashes test from Headingley. Hopefully the series will still be alive. But for now, this has been the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.